Hello everyone, thank you for checking out Men Tell Health podcast, a show dedicated to encouraging more open conversations surrounding not only men's mental health, but everyone's mental health, because it's something we all have in common. Before we go into this main episode, I want to remind you that if you are struggling to cope right now, you are not alone ever. I've included some links to some free support services in the episode description. Remember, conversations save lives. So this week I sat down with James Jackson. He shared his experience of high functioning depression, its physical and psychological effects, as well as the dichotomy between performing well and achieving goals whilst experiencing debilitating depression and low moods. The discussion provides an unfiltered view into James's mental health journey through powerful and deeply personal storytelling about his experience of abuse, grief and racism. Trigger warning, James also talks about suicidal feelings and actions. He shares his experience of talking therapies as well as championing the Samaritans and the impact these services have had on his mental health. I hope you enjoy this really powerful episode of Mental Health. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, the fabulous, the one and only James Jackson. Hello, James. How are you doing? <laughs> hi, hi, James. What, what, what an intro. Thank you. <laughs> it caught you off guard. <laughs> yeah, that did actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Well, it's all true and it's wonderful to have you and thank you for making time to come and speak to us today on mental health. So, um, to get us started, first things first, as usual, we thought we could just listen to about you, a bit about you, your background, your experience um, and what you've been up to and any exciting projects you're up to at the moment. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, I, I always find this a bit difficult. Like people say to me, oh, I don't tell you about yourself. <laughs> Like it's talk about <laughs> talk about mental health and talk about equality, diversity, inclusion, and then you know and stuff like that. But talk about myself, difficult. Um, I, you know, I'm an EDI practitioner um, uh, and, and an LND professional, and I've been in that space now for about 15 years. Um, and, and that's that's my background: various various roles, uh, program manager roles, uh, industry skills qualification manager roles, EDI partner roles, that type of thing for the last 15 years. I've been working in that space. Um, uh, a little bit of customer experience in there as well, um, and more recently, um, so kind of 2020, uh, establishing my own business, Next Gen Learning, and co-founded uh, a small non-for-profit organisation with a fantastic lady called Mitra Rowe, where we're generating a space to talk and kind of explore all things EG&I, um, educational um, and kind of thought leadership really in, in that space, and, and, and we're doing that simply because it's the right thing to do, it's, it's a good thing to do. Um, Background-wise, uh, I just 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 a, just a normal guy, just just a normal guy. I grew up, had a tough start. I suppose the reality is tough start, um, and kind of found my way into the corporate space and this, this professional arena. I didn't set out, you know, at school and say that's what I wanted to be. I, I left school and took a quite um, quite hands-on role in terms of an electrical uh, apprentice and, and, and did a electrical uh, accreditation in, in installer, electrical installation. Um, and then 
you know, had my first son and, and realized that probably wasn't the, 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 the right career in terms of work-life balance and then moved into retail, retail management and, and banking. And, and that's, it was the banking introduction that kind of got me into the corporate space. And from then on in, uh, it kind of, uh, you know, I've, I've developed it to, to where we are now. And I'm 40 this year. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I, I, it, it's, it's, been, it's been a pleasant journey. But very difficult. There are barriers at times, certainly in relation to the kind of diversity and inclusion space, kind of spectrum, and definitely in the mental health spectrum. You know, I, you know, I've, I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate of, of mental health. Certainly, men's mental health, black male representation in that in this conversation and topic is is a big, big passion of mine. Um, and yeah, there's been challenges professionally with, with that as, as you've gone along, different, varying levels of different understanding and support within organisations. So. Yeah, uh, but we're here. We're here now. So having a chat—that's well, that's pretty much me. I don't want to say anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much in there that I think we can unpick throughout throughout the rest of the episode as well. But I, it's really useful to kind of get that background and that insight from you. And I think that end point there about you being a, an advocate for men, men's mental health and and you know raising uh, the voice for black men's mental health as well kind of leads us nicely into the next section of the show and and really to kind of drill down into your experiences of poor mental health um and perhaps where and you think they manifested from or, or your your insights into that so that would be really useful to to listen to <coughs> Yeah, um, yeah, no problem at all. Uh, so let me let me understand. So my experiences of mental health, and 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 then we'll probably do the where that maybe stems from. Is is that how you'd like like to run it? Yeah, of course. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it, my experience of mental health is is uh, is a constant one. You know, I I suffer with mental health. Um, I am uh, medically labelled as a high functioning depressive, um, which from the research and the study I've done. Um, it arguably is one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst, the worst kinds. <laughs> Excuse me, still got a bit of a hangover from uh, COVID. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's arguably one of the worst kinds, right? Because the curse with with high functioning depression is that I can be um, what well, I I call it peaks and troughs. So I, I generally in a, in a good year, in a good twelve month period, I'll have two troughs to two low points two crisis points where for whatever reason whatever the trigger was at that time and it's very different triggers i just rock bottom and, I, and i'm struggling with the classic you know I've, I've got no motivation i've got no energy fatigue i stop eating i struggle to sleep i can't think you know i'm distracted and you know at, at its lowest point the lowest forms you start to question you know uh, the purpose of life your purpose in life and, and, and what you're bringing fulfilling and you, you have those dark thoughts um and, you know, I, you know and, and that that's that's the that's the that's the reality but on in a good in a good year that probably happens to me twice a year in a tough year probably happens to me three four maybe even five times in a year mm. but the, the curse of being a high functioning depressive is is that no one knows you continue to operate um, you continue to deliver professionally, yeah. um, uh, you know, and I, 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 you know, I've I've been at a state where I've been mental health-wise at my lowest point and and and, and suicidal, um, but professionally, um, you know, having overseen from from conception right through to 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 opening, the 
the creation of, of Academy of Excellence, you know, which, which is wow. which is a huge, a huge achievement. You know, built built Academy of Excellence. So, at the same time, you're kind of you kind of you're changing the, the balance, if you will, in terms of I'm getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But no one, no one knows. And as I'm getting closer and closer to completion of that piece of work and that project, it just looks ever more like you've got it, you've got all your shit together. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you haven't, if that makes sense. Um, so that that's the curse. And, and and that's 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 my that's my that's my my journey. My you know I, I live with that. Um, I find study research very important and very helpful. And I found over time ways to cope with that and, and coping mechanisms. So you know, the gym, a healthy lifestyle is a, is a big coping mechanism for me. Um, my my family and my children are a big coping mechanism for me. Um, doing enough of the things that I enjoy, you know, getting out into nature. I'm a bit of a wildlife geek, uh, you know, that type of thing. It, it, it's enough. It's enough for me. Unfortunately, the recent pandemic that we've experienced in the UK has kiboshed a lot of that, and that's been a problem. So when I, if I was to reflect on 2020. Um, I would probably say 2020 has been one of those tough years where I've had those low moments already, uh, you know, or, or you know, through 2020, probably probably four or five times um, for varying different reasons, different triggers. But you keep going, right? You, you know, that, that high functioning depressive keeps it keeps it all under under wraps. Can I, can, can I ask a couple of follow-up questions uh, yeah. based on some things you've just said there? The first, the first one I think is really interesting and so many people will probably relate to this is around that you're up here, you know, career-wise, performance-wise, you're way up there, you're doing amazing things, but mental, you know, mentally, emotionally, you're way down here, so, you know, perhaps on your knees, you know, yeah. you know, crippling a little bit. And I, I think my my question around that is how do you how does that impact on you feeling able to speak out and ask for some support you know does it add more pressure on, on that or it, it, it the short answer is yes it does um so <clears throat> i think i think one of the one of the in my experience when it's almost like um it's almost like a massive uh breath of fresh air if you if, if you identify if someone identifies that you're not you're not you're not quite yourself you're not firing on all cylinders and they see through the facade they see through the the, the you know the, the front that you're putting on um and at the same time i, I will i will reference that you know that, that, that example i gave of you know building academies of excellence and and and, and uh, you know turning around a whole program a uk program of learning and development with a huge achievement for me personally in my career from, from my experience to, to me but at the same time kind of gradually getting worse and worse and worse till i'm on my knees mm. i was fortunate enough to have um a direct report at the time who i'd known for many many years um uh, have got a great amount of time and, and, and respect for this individual um and this lady and she had this innate ability to see through. So I remember us having a, a kind of a one-to-one. -one. It was just before, just leading up to Christmas, I think, December two thousand. Yeah, December two thousand and eighteen. And she she just saw through it, and she just she asked the question. You know, when people say to you, "Are you okay?" and you know you can you know you can back that off and go, "Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, how are you?" Da -da. 
this individual asked the question and she asked the question three times because she knew if she just scratched enough and on the third occasion I, I was just on this so it's like a breath of fresh air when that happens but the reality is as you've just touched on it certainly in the world that we're in now and you know professional business profiles and the world of digital platforms and, and so forth and so on a we're lacking that interaction for people to really connect and see past that so that's a vulnerable place to be um, and b it, it's a lot harder to pick up on remotely virtually um and, and we're, we're all a little bit more disconnected right now so you know it, it's 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 a difficult place it, when you when you've got you, you know the, the opportunities for that breath of fresh air are not where they normally are yeah. um so as when you talk about being there professionally i by no means think i'm up here wherever up here is um professionally at, at all um but i i just feel that you know where there has been some success i can talk about it in parallel to, to the success in my experience however yeah how does it feel it just feels there is pressure especially as, as an advocate if, if you're you're sharing resources information guidance you're there helping others trying to help others trying to raise awareness trying to you know put a spotlight on this subject which needs so much more energy and effort in my opinion both professionally and societally and certainly educationally with young children we need to be doing more about this but at the same time you do feel like you can't put your hands up and go look i'm, I'm drowning here you, you, you it's, it's hard you feel like you can't do it and just one more question on that and it's putting you on the spot a little bit is a big question but so how do we how how do we move past that how how do we make progress in there yeah james that's a big question, <laughs> a big question. it's it's, um, it's you know it's a question that i constantly think about because <laughs> i i i asked you that question you know having experienced that pressure myself and kind of going it's it's almost I don't know. I, you know, let's, uh, yeah. What's answer this big question, James? Or answer give us your, your, your thoughts. Answer the million dollar question, James. <laughs> nobody else has ever answered this yet. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I, th I think, I think there are a number of of, of of ways that we we can change that landscape or change that reality. You know, that 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 sad negative reality in terms of you know there is still there are still challenges and barriers and stigma um that, that are stopping people from seeking help seeking guidance seeking support opening up being vulnerable um which oddly enough whenever i've seen anybody do it it's been to the benefit of so many more people than they understand it's like a very small pebble in in, in, the, in the pond if you will or the lake but the ripples continue right across the body of water, you know. Um, there are a various number of ways of doing it. You know, we could talk about um, we could talk about business business investment. We could talk about technological uh, innovation. We could talk about you know systematic systematic education. But I'm going to simplify it if I can and say, for me, it, it, we just we need to not just we need to first of all continue to build more space to talk yeah. about this uh, and about all subjects and uh, it, you know it, it's it's that's for me where there is still so much more room to create in order to facilitate these types of discussions um, that will lead to 
technological innovation that will lead to, you know, uh, prospectus of education and uh, you know modules of learning and development. It, the conversation and opening up that discussion will lead to these things. But if we if we try and skip that step, I think that the solutions that we will the solutions that we will put forward won't be long lasting. They they won't stand the test of time. Um, it's the space to talk, to be open, to be vulnerable without persecution and discrimination that is 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 key. For me, that's my opinion. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I almost I almost don't feel as guilty for asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> And then the other, the other point that I wanted to follow up on, a very, a very important point, a very serious point is, you know, you mentioned there that you felt suicidal in the past. And we know that, you know, men are, at a certain age are, are more likely to die by suicide than any other cause of death. And I think I would be remiss not to to, to follow up on that, given the, the context of the show. And I, I wondered if you could speak a little bit more to that experience and and what you found most important in terms of support and, and getting out of that space? Um, wow, well, yeah, so I, <clears throat> I think, uh, first of all, I, th I think for context, um, I, I've probably, not probably, I have been suicidal three, four times in my life. What, and, and, you know, suicidal for me takes shape in many different forms from a mental health perspective you know sitting there contemplating would anybody miss you you know what would your funeral look like that is suicidal you might not be acting on it or planning it or something but that that those are suicidal thoughts and when you you know in that space very very dangerous slippery road to you know the sad the sad and tragic outcome i think and, and there's steps before that even so just give an example of that's one form the other form is you know walking at, at night at, at 12 o'clock at night in the dark down a bypass and just thinking step out step out in front of a car and and and, and switch, switch off turn the lights off you know you know cut the power this this, this feeling will stop this 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 these 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 this mental health this toxic uh process in your mind will just stop and and, and surely that's a good thing and and that's you know I, I can't speak for everybody but as as a generally pragmatic and logical person you know the way i work the way i think that's really what it comes down to when, when i've talked and thought about being suicidal in the past it, it literally is a simple decision in my head that's saying just just want it to stop I, I just want to switch off the lights i want to i want this feeling to stop and my brain is going, well, this is a really simple way <laughs> you can do that, <laughs> you know. And, and, and I know that I think that in some ways is even is, is potentially even more dangerous because you you really are oversimplifying such a huge, impactful decision. Um, and if your brain's in that space, then, you know, you really do need help. And I'm saying this for the purpose of this, 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 this podcast. If anybody finds themselves in that space, you really do need help, as I did at the time. I think also for context, I would stress that, whereas I say I've been suicidal kind of four times in my life, my earliest memory was as, as, a, as a seven year old boy, uh, you know, as you know, so, uh, you know, I've not been suicidal like once every, you know, every other year for the last five years, you know, uh, but, it's, you know, my earliest memory of being suicidal was as a, was as a seven year old child. Um, and, 
my tormentors, my abusers, um, and my understanding of existence at that time was just I, I just wanted it to end um, and and I, I, I tried um, as, as, a, as a seven year old child um, I, 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 I threw myself down a flight of stairs I just that's what I did and I woke up in hospital um, and you know and, and, and yeah uh, that that's that's my that was my first taste of real depression and real suicide now I've got to be honest with you James and say I didn't really recognize that till I was much older in life, having studied, researched, learned, and become more aware of depression and what it was. But I, I remember having a, a kind of like a, a light bulb moment makes it sound nice, but it wasn't really, but it was a kind of light bulb moment where I was like, shit, I remember, this is what I was thinking when I was seven. Um, uh, you know, I remember the stairs. I, I could, t I could literally, I could tell you where the house is. I could drive you to the house. I remember everything, where the house is, where it was. Like the stairs, they had no carpet on them. And back then, people used to have carpet that ran up just the middle. I don't know if you've ever seen a house with the carpet just ran up the middle of the stairs. So the bits of the the, the, the steps were kind of painted. <laughs> carpet <laughs> ran up the middle. Painted. <laughs> and the, the staircase had no carpet. I just remember it. Very clearly, very vividly, very visually. Um, but in, in so as a child, I, I you know, didn't recognise that, and I can't really speak to what got me out of that. And I don't think I ever did come out of that, to be honest. And hence the kind of childhood PTSD uh, that, that, I, that I suffer with um, because of abusers, and, and, and then one of not as a child. But in adult in adult form, um, uh, loss of my father was was a, was a time in my life uh, around about the age of twenty. Where you know that that pain was terrible. It was really, 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 really hard to take. Um, and then you know, pressures. I think in, in later life. Um, and, and as I say, the last time I felt suicidal was was, was back in 2018. And um, what got me out of that? I can speak very highly of um, the Samaritans. Uh, I've I've been on the phone to Samaritans twice uh, in my adult life, um, and on both occasions. Uh, they were helpful. On one occasion, uh, they were very helpful in, in asking the right questions, which made me visualise my children and come out of that, go home and pick up the phone, contact the doctors and start that process um, in terms of getting support um, and, and liaising and connecting with NHS support um, and crisis team and so forth and so on. Um, and during that during that period as well, I also tried some medication. Um, which is can work is, is for some people isn't for some people but it, it opened up a doorway of, of, of talking therapies which I found very very useful and mm. um, second time round in 2018 uh, I actually rang the Samaritans and uh, they asked the right questions but only the right questions that prompted me to kind of finish the call and ring a friend don't know why uh, but I did I rang a friend one o'clock in the morning and I, to this day I, I still I, I tell him you know I've, I've told him a number of times like you know you, you, you saved my life that day because he, he picked up at one o'clock in the morning. He didn't have to pick up. He picked up, um, and 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 we talked, and and he he took me all the way home, um, you know, and and that was, he talked me off a bridge if, if I'm if I'm really honest. Um, he he talked me off a bridge, which I was, I was stood on, and and yeah, and you know, and taught me all the way home. And then again, I I knew by this point, you know, I knew what the process was. I know I need to ring the doctors. I know I need to. Re reintegrate and reinitiate some of that that support process and structure, um, and and re and reengage with talking therapies. 
the thing I've done from that point on, which I think is different to past uh, examples of, of getting to that point, is I've maintained the talking therapies. So beyond the initial support and offer an extension um, through in, uh, you know, employment networks and uh, or the NHS and so forth and so on, I've, I've found a talking therapy and a therapist that works for me that I've maintained and I found that to be extremely, extremely useful. It's not a healing thing, it's not CBT, although it's, it's not about healing and, and correcting, it's just about I go somewhere and I can talk, I can be open, I can be honest uh, and it kind of gets it gets left in the room and it's almost like I offload and, and departmentalise that and yeah. yeah, you know, for me that, that works really, really well for me uh, and hence the gym does the same, the way I work in the gym uh, the, the, the energy I put into the gym, I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of guy when it comes to fitness in that sense. I go to the gym and I leave it all in the gym at like a moment and I'm good, you know, and, and, and that's that's how I deal with things. And if I go on holiday with, with my family or I go on holiday with my children, it's all or nothing. We, you know, we, we have whatever we want, we do whatever we want, we make the most of that quality time. Um, and that's generally the, 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 way I, the way I cope. But I think hopefully that answers the question, kind of getting to that point and how I came out of it uh, to some degree. Absolutely. 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 Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much for sharing so that experience. Then um, <coughs> the, the next question is actually about how do you look after your mental health? And I, I've been reflecting throughout this conversation and it's bit, that's definitely been a theme throughout this conversation you know you've touched on it quite a lot which is amazing and it's that's going to be the most powerful for for so many people um so i i'm going to change the perspective slightly if that's okay i'm giving you quite a few surprises today but and it's more so okay so we've got some general things you know the talking therapies the you know the a real theme that's coming out to me is having a network around you that you can really trust on so your friends the two friends you've mentioned fitness eating healthy so on so on a, you wake up one day and you know you know you're just not feeling very gray or or whatever how do you start that day in the best way possible that you can that day um, <clears throat> ha, ha, so if read that scenario, how do you start that day? Um, so you start the day feeling shit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Start the day feeling shit. Um, <clears throat> there, there are, they're almost like, I would almost describe them like um, cognitive ticks, uh, things, things that I do. So um, I have, uh, I, I have a, a, a playlist on YouTube, which is a collection of motivational speakers um, with, you know, with, 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 with music in the background or so and so on, you know, and uh, from very different sources. Um, I'll listen to that straight off the bat, you know, I'll, I'll try to listen to that, put that on, you know, you know, uh, you know I'll, I'll turn the next one and we'll start playing with that. I can't say it too loud, otherwise she'll actually come on and say, how can I help you? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> the right um, so I listen to that. A very, very simple thing. Um, I make my bed and put the pillows on top. Don't know why. Very odd. But I make the bed, put the pillows on top. Um, I have on my kitchen board here, I have four key points. And, and, and when I when I moved into this house uh, roughly about two years ago now, um, I made the decision that I wanted to 
read something motivational you know, every day, if not every other day, or you know, something that was there. And I looked online and I was looking online and you know, looking at these motivational posters and these wonderful images, blah, blah, And, uh, you know, I, I pride myself on being, trying to be authentic. I speak, you know, I speak from the heart, wear my emotions, you know, for, 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 the, for everyone to see. Uh, you know, you keep some of it back, obviously, at key times, key moments, but uh, I try to be authentic. And in, in that in that process of looking for something that was going to motivate me, I was just like, actually, do you know what? I'm going to write write something that's my own. So I, I just got a, a notepad, bit of paper, and I wrote four things down. And then one of them is, you know, you're unique and, and you deserve everything that you have in life. Uh, another one is around you know avoid those that don't bring avoid things and those that don't bring joy to your life and let go of the past um another is is around my children um and and the other is around you know enjoy life or, or ultimately the journey is 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 pointless you know the, the death the, enjoy the journey or the destination will be pointless so i wrote those four things down just with a biro pen on the, on the notepad i've stuck them on the board and they they haven't come down a single day for well two years now and I read them and and, and I, I try and and that's I try to tap into that positive mindset and thought process and then try and make the most of the day I mean like most people you know you'll have a shower get dressed another hour and you know you try and try and get ready but um music's a big thing for me um you know um music often reflects my mood and so I can kind of tap into that a little bit um if needs be get out get some fresh air you know, just the, the basic, simple things, really, James. Nothing groundbreaking, but I, th I think that's I think that's the art. That that's that's the tr that's the key. If you can find individual, unique things that mean something to you, and you can set it up. But you know, if, if you're aware of your mental fragility, and I, I like that word rather than mental health or depression. If you're aware of your mental fragility, because fragility for me covers a multitude of sins, but implies that it's not there all the time. You know, you, you can be fragile, but you're not maybe fragile all the time. Um, if you can find things that, that you can tap into that mean something to you, that you can set up to support your mental, mental fragility on those days, I think that's that's a big big win, and I I learned that through research and study. You know, I've picked a bit up here, and I've picked a bit up there, or you know, a, 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 an online web chat there, and you know, a bit of, a bit of coaching and guidance from from your therapist here. And there are a multitude of different things that have just come together to help me start that that shitty day, as it were. So yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And it, yeah, like like you say, it's it, they're not groundbreaking things, but they're so important. They're so easy to forget, aren't they? In in the in the throes of day to day of busy life, and particularly working from home, those who are homeschooling now, you know, it, it's lots. But taking those moments and those steps, and just going through it, and slowly taking a step back can really help. So yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing that, and. Um, I'm sure lots of people will find it really helpful to hear for, for those practical <coughs> steps. So another big question, and I, I know I've shared this one with you before, though, um, so um, I'm not going to feel too guilty <laughs> for it. Um, but so looking back on your experiences now of poor mental health, perhaps one of your first experiences, um, what advice or guidance would you give you to yourself back then, if you could? Um, the first thing I would say is don't switch off the lights. Don't turn the power off. Don't don't give in, um, because you know, as I sit here today, um, what I, what I am, where I am, 
professionally, personally, um, you know, is more than I ever dreamed possible as a child. And, and, and that's where my mental health challenges stem from, you know, a tough, tough childhood. So um, not the toughest, it's not boohoo me, not the toughest. There are, there are people worse off than me in, in sort of their, their, their upbringing and their opportunities in life. But, you know, it, it was definitely not the norm. So <laughs> that's, that's the politest way of putting it. Um, uh, what would I tell myself? So don't switch your lights off, don't give in. Um, I would have, if I could go back and speak to a adolescent me, a kind of 16, 17, 18 year old me, I would say start your research and your study sooner. Um, I only really started to research and study and um, when um, around the same time that my, my father had passed, and I think we, I think I've shared this with you. So I'll, 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 it, it was a key moment in, in my life in terms of waking up to mental health. Uh, my, my father had, had, had sadly died um, complications from cancer, um, lung cancer, and he died in, in 2003. And three weeks later, my first son, Lyndon, was born uh, almost to the day, Thursday to Thursday, three weeks later, 31st of July, Lyndon was born and I became a father myself. So there was this real powerful cycle of, of cognitive awareness that I've just lost a father and now I've become a father and it was a real, real entrenched kind of over, overpowering period in my life. And it wasn't until about, I think maybe four, maybe even six months later, I'll say, I'll say four months later, if I think to memory, I was making scrambled eggs and I, I cracked the egg and, and put the shell in the pan and the yolk in the carton. I did this like three or four times in a row. I don't know what I was thinking, I, I, but each time I realized what I'd done and then repeated the same thing. And I just stopped and I, I just, people had been talking to me, my, my partner and, 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 and uh, family at the time had been talking to me and saying, if you thought about speaking to a doctor, if you thought about speaking to a doctor, and I was totally oblivious to this, and I, that I even needed it. But that moment in that kitchen at that time with those eggs, I was like, this isn't, you're not right. You're not, you're not working right. Um, and that's where the journey for me started in terms of seeking initial help. Um, and I look back, actually, it's, 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 it's strange because I look back, you know, I've got one or two pictures, you know, it wasn't the digital era that it is now back then. And I've got one or two pictures of me as a you know my, my son is a baby he's, he's a toddler um, and I'm so thin and I'm so depleted and I'm so malnutritioned and I just didn't see it, it you know I genuinely I just could not see it um, and it was at that stage that I started to learn and study and research because I, you know I had a son and I wanted to beat this and I wanted to I wanted to understand it and I I can't I don't really I don't really work in a way where I, I can be or achieve anything if I don't really understand it. I, I do need to understand it. That's not to say I'm, I'm academic. I'm not very academic at all. Um, school didn't really work for me as a child. Um, whereas I'm keen to learn, keen to, to grasp new knowledge. Uh, an academic setting and structure has no, never really been my forte. But yeah, if I could go back to the adolescent me, I would have said, learn about this more quick sooner. It's, read about this sooner have a show you know um, have a passion and show an interest for it sooner because it would have helped me massively yeah okay. I, I wonder if I wonder if you uh, would mind going back a little bit further to that seven-year-old boy 
<laughs> perhaps yeah. it might be the same answer, but it, yeah. it just strikes me. What what would you what would you say to him? Oh. Um, bearing in mind, we, you know, we're talking to a seven-year-old boy, yeah. So yeah. I would say to him, um, if I could go back now and, and talk to that boy, I would say, first of all. Um, who I am, I would tell that boy who I am. And I would tell that boy, this is this is who you're gonna grow up to be. Um, and I think that boy would probably, probably just cry. Um, if, I, if I told that boy, this is who you will be, this is what you will do, this is the, the job you will have, the, the, the love you will experience, um, the love you will be able to give, uh, the, 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 the childhood, uh, and support and guidance and care and nurture you will be able to provide your own children as well as the things that you will have because you know seven-year-old kids you know like, oh, we, we want this, we want that, <laughs> you know and um and I, and I think that seven-year-old boy would probably just cry or look at look at me gone out and go you weirdo <laughs> get out of my house uh, <laughs> I should be talking to strangers um but I, I think I would also I, I would definitely tell that child. I would definitely tell that boy to 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 not self harm. Self harm isn't self harm isn't going to do you any good. It's not going to fix anything. Um, uh, but it, beyond what seemed beyond those two points, which seem very practical and pragmatic, uh, you know, uh, uh, what what can you what could what can you tell a seven year old child if a seven year old child only has, has only experienced one thing and that is uh you know uh, parenting or guardianship through pain and violence what 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 can you tell that child and and that's the reality you know at that point in my life that that was the reality you know um my child abuse uh you know suffocation burning scolding beatings um domestic racism you know societal racism school rape, bullying uh loneliness all all of these things that that was my childhood that that's what i grew up i i didn't know any different i didn't know any better um the names i got called at school were the names i got called at home by you know the one person that that you would probably say should you should never feel that or experience that from um, so I just knew no no different. I knew no better. So going back and speaking to a seven-year-old me, I think would be very difficult because that child would know no different. Their reality is their reality. But I would definitely say, this is who you're going to be, and and hold on, and 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 and, and you know it's going to be okay, and you're going to experience this, and give them hope. I think the only thing I could give that child is hope. Give that version of me back then is is hope, because. I just recall having them. There, there was no hope, you know, there was no hope. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think before I go further, I'd, I'd like to stay here again. And you you mentioned there, I mean, there's so much we could unpick with what you've just shared, you know, the specifics of your experience of abuse. I, I think it would be really important. It's, it's very important always has been to kind of think about and and touch on what your experience of racism you know particularly has had an effect on your mental health yeah my experience of racism is is i won't say is unique but 
when typically when I join any forum, uh, any space to talk about racism, its effects, its impacts, and, and shared experience, very rarely do the panel or uh, the guest speakers or the attendees. Uh, I've never heard anybody anybody ever say um, my racism, my my earliest experience of racism was from my own biological parent. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anybody say that. So. To some degree, whereas I don't claim to, you know, career-wise or progress-wise, be up here or achieve this or da da da. Uh, you know, I, I, I like to stay very humble in, in, in my journey and my, my progress to date. On this particular point, I will go as far as to say and, and make no apology in the sense of I think my experience of racism is quite unique because. Uh, my biological mother, who I don't actually use the M term for, um, this, 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 this lady, you know, this lady, we don't, we don't call her that anymore. Um, didn't, you know, for whatever reason, opted to continue with the pregnancy, but did not want uh, a, a black child. Um, and before I can consciously recall racism domestically in my home being called names and being uh, abused based on the color of my skin or um and my ethnicity um you know i have it on a reliable source that i was made as a toddler to walk four paces back from my own biological mother i was palmed off to other family members as their child and not hers you know, so I think my experience of racism is slightly unique in the sense of it's, you know, it really, really started young. And growing up with that in the home meant that because we predominantly lived, um, you know, by the time I was 13, I'd, I'd attended like, uh, you know, oh, I don't know, I think I'd attended like between seven to ten different schools. I'd lived in 14, up to 21 or 14 different schools, 21 different home addresses. I'd moved around a hell of a lot um, because back then, you know, the social services structure was uh, a, a knock on the door and the easiest way to get around that was just to move. <laughs> so that happened quite a lot. I've been woken up in the middle of the night and we're going somewhere else. I wake up and you start school on Monday morning, making new friends or trying to more times than I care to remember. But uh, because of that in the home, what it meant was in the school and the predominantly white communities that we lived in, because as I say, my uh, my, my, my biological mother wasn't really innate, innate with you know inclusive diverse immersion if you will with, with different cultures and ethnicities um god knows why she actually slept with my father in the first place i don't know but um you know he's a charismatic guy <laughs> maybe but um the the reality is that in, in school I, it, it, the names that i got called and, and the bullying i experienced i just i just I just accepted it like it, and, and it shaped a lack of awareness um, and it wasn't until I was 13 and I, I, I left and I, I ran away from home and I left and I went I, I then fell into or became a prodigy of protective fostering social housing and care um, it wasn't until I reconnected with my biological father who was this huge six foot four massively athletically well-built man you know the epitome of strong black man if you will you know in terms of visual representation who kind of i would say i'd say took me under his wing um you know to, to all intents and purposes educated me in a very short space of time from the age of 13 to about 
18 on what it meant to be black in the UK. Um, and he, you know, my, my, I describe my father as, um, you know, is a great man, um, you know, loved by loved by loved loved by many, feared by a few, respected by all. That is my mantra around my father. Um, and he, he, he's, you know, he died a math teacher. But in general, your experience with him was one of education. He was so educational in the way that he spoke to you and, and talked to you, and it was you were learning all the time. And I think that's where I, some of my hunger for learning has come from. Um, but he, yeah, he shaped that. And so it was between 13 and kind of 18 where I learned what it meant to be a black male in the UK. But up to that point, my experience of racism domestically and then in school and so had shaped just, just a total ignorance, really. You know, it, the, the words hurt, the bullying hurt, if you will, because, I, you know, I could, I could observe no one else being called these names or being picked on for these reasons. And, and that's isolating, that's loneliness. And we, you know, uh, you know, loneliness is a painful experience, but did it, did it connect and, and hurt me, uh, you know, from a racist perspective because I understood racism? No, I, 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 that was just my life. So it was only until, as I say, I became older and then studied and researched and my father gave me a book to read and you know, I was born a slave, okay, I'll read that book and, you know, uh, you know uh, read the history of slave trade before colonization, okay, I'll read that book. And he educated me um, and I took that education with open arms. I, I sucked it all up um, and it didn't, um, turned me. It didn't, didn't. I didn't become militant. It didn't. It just gave me an awareness, and I, and I think that's probably one of the greatest things that I, I'm thankful to my father for. Because having now had mixed race children, um, and you know, and had mixed relationships and so forth and so on, I can impart some of that in the right way without trying to convert or, or over convey a message or an empowerment or you know it, it's just it's just about history know your history and ironically interesting enough um black lives matter you know and, and the emphasis on that during 2020 there were protests peaceful protests that took place here in nottingham and my eldest son was with me at the time mm -hmm. and he asked me if we we would go and i said to him i said I said, no, we won't go. And he said, okay, why won't we go? Uh, and I said, two, two reasons. I said, one, not all the protests have been peaceful. So it would be irresponsible of me as a father to put you in that, that, that scenario without the, without the confidence that it's going to remain a peaceful protest. And I'm just not gonna do that. Um, so for that reason, first and foremost, we're not gonna do it. But secondly, um, and I sat him down and I said, you don't know your history. Um, you haven't spent time learning and reading about what it is to be black here in the UK. And I gave him a book and I said, uh, it's a book by Carla, uh, Natives, you know, paper, a really, really good book. I said, read that. I said, when you've read that, if you want, if we want to engage in these types of things, then, then, uh, then I think you're ready. And um, because that's how my father taught me. So I, I convey that a little bit to him. Um, I don't think he's read the book. Um, <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's with Xboxing and, and, and all sorts. I don't think he's read the book, but it was it was trying to convey it and, and do it in the right way. So uh, racism, racism, racism didn't really hurt me as a child, although it did hurt me. Does that make sense? Of course, of course. I, I mean, I'll never, I'll never fully understand it. You know, I, 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 it's your experience. And, I respect you so. Um, I won't fully ever understand the black experience, but I can just listening to you, you know, and, and hearing your experience helps 
me and hopefully many other people appreciate um, that you know where where that's coming from. And I, I if I, I could, add, if I could add, I think uh, what what the knowledge that I, have, I think what if if there is an element of that playing through to today, what affects me more now in terms of, of, of racism and on the subject of mental health in particular mm. is the representation and or directed channels of support um, and uh, uh, comfort and, 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 and recovery that isn't there for, for black people and in particular black males in yes. the UK. Um, I was having this conversation with with uh, next gen learning in my business. We we work in a kind of partnering and consultative sense to kind of explore inclusion diversity. And I was talking to a potential client about this conversation from a lens of diversity. And we did a little we did a little activity. I said, you know, just just go onto well known search engine right now. And we went onto well known search engine together. And I said, type in um, men's mental health uh, support and type in alcohol addiction or type in um, a drug addiction or type in gambling addiction and we did the three sequences and when we, we brought up the listings I said great now go to the images and each time we went to the images and if this well-known search engine brought back on your screen the immediate 15 images less than two percent of them were in any way referencing any other ethnicity bar a white male mm-hmm. and and that was a point I was trying to make and so you know, that that journey, if you will, of that question around how does racism affect or has affected, I think, if anything, it it, it affects me more now or uh, upsets me more now in the mental health space in terms of we really need to do more to say mental health support for men in the UK globally is 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 it's about more than just the white male. Absolutely. Because that, that's not the landscape that it is at the moment. And culturally, speaking from a West Indian background, we don't like to talk about mental health anyway. You know, we can talk about religion, we can talk about ackee and saltfish, rice and peas, stew and dumplings, we can talk about cricket, we can talk about sport, we can talk about we can talk about music, arts, but, you know, around the table, you know, in many West Indian homes uh, and, 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 and African homes, for that matter, friends and colleagues that I have have testified that the mental health discussion we don't talk about it. We, we, we you know, it, it's a, there is a cultural barrier there as well that we we need to break down. And so, coming on to this type of thing and, and being a representative in that space and that that cultural heritage, that ethnicity is is part and parcel of that for me. It's incredible. It's incredible. And what you say there about um, the representation piece is so it's so important because you're right. The representation is so low, but black men are more likely than anybody to be sectioned so so yeah. there's a there's a disconnect and and w- w- no, nobody's listening you know it's 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 infuriating but you're you're right and i hope you know with with your you know platforms that you're working on and you being here and having this conversation will help other people and perhaps other other men and black men will come forward and be on the podcast too so again can't thank you enough for being here and then just finally moving towards the end of the show um the last part is a nice fun uh, section called guest favorite um and it's a book a quote support memory or a song and we've talked about a few already which you can't use um related to <laughs> mental health and perhaps a little anecdote about what that means to you um yeah, oh, yeah guess guess yeah yeah the ones we talked about I can't really use um <laughs> <laughs> I think 
I think I like. I think musically, I, I, I think me, I, I tap into music quite a lot, and um, there are there are certain artists that that, that I, I think I think they their music is is entrenched in in uh, conscious awareness and, and and mental health, and and one's quite relevant, you know, quite quite relevant, fresh artist, recently fresh artist in, in today's terms. Um, and it's a, an artist called Maverick Sabre. Um, he uh, dropped an album a couple of years back now called uh, Lonely Are the Brave. Um, and it, throughout the album, I, there's an undercurrent of tapping into m- mental health you know, sen- examples and scenarios in his life that. that affect mental health but they affect mental health in the outward perspective of society outward perspective of of, of, of young young people uh success uh, you know and, and and then there's an inward there's a kind of an introverted lens to his music as well which i find really really useful but i love the album uh, label lonely are the brave because i i think that there, if there is ever a term for living with mental health that and 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 when I say living with mental health, there is living with mental health in whatever format that takes. If you're living with it, you're living with it, full stop. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be loved and liked. You, you know, you don't, you know, you're living with that. Whatever level you're at in the UK today and you're living with that, I think there is the term lonely are the brave. It's a very lonely place to be. Sadly, in society and in the world today, it's still a very lonely place to be. And if you're living with it, you are brave and you, you, you are be brave. You need to recognize that. And I think that's the starting point to taking ownership and control. And um, I love that term so much that it's actually tattooed over my shoulder here. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So uh, I know you've got a few tattoos uh, and I'll clock those. And I've, I've got one, just just one, just one. Uh, it's kind of a sleeve that I've pieced together over kind of 12, 14 years now. Uh, it stops at the wrist because it, professionally, I don't want to be judged. But yeah, and that in itself, we can talk about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, stereotypes yeah. and what and not. But it comes up and just comes over the shoulder. And the last the last ink that a session that I had was Lonely Are the Brave over, over the shoulder. So it, it means a lot to me. Wow. What an amazing way to, to close the show. Honestly, thank you so much for being here. It's been an incredible conversation. Um, and yeah, take care. Thank you. Thank you, James. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Men Tell Health Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with James about his mental health journey. Check out Next Gen Learning. More than just an EDI consultancy, fundamentally the Next Gen Learning partnering approach works by building relationships, trust and creating a safe space to talk, to learn. Links in description. Please remember to give at Mental Health Podcast a follow on Instagram. Next week's episode is with Ryan Ridgway, Managing Director of Mind Health Solutions and renowned mental health first aider and advocate. Don't forget, if you want to be part of the show, send me a short message to be included in a future episode using the link in the episode description. 
My name is James Sever. This has been Mental Health Podcast. And remember, always be yourself and always be kind. Cheers.